Welcome to House Highlights, a weekly Facebook livecast and podcast focused on Maryland politics. I'm Eric Lutke, Majority Leader of the Maryland House of Delegates. And each week I interview one of my brilliant colleagues to help you learn more about them and the work they're doing. You can tune in live each Tuesday at 6 p.m. on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Eric for Maryland. And you can watch recorded interviews on that same Facebook page or listen to them in podcast format uh, on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever lesser podcast platform you use. Um, longtime viewers will notice that uh, my wife finally got tired of the, the Christmas tree that we still had up and, and it is now down. It took till February. Unfortunately, that means that we are not going to get to have a St. Patty's Day Christmas tree, um, but we will we will try to have it back by November at, at, the, at the latest. Um, this month is freshman February on House Highlights. The House of Delegates has a huge number of uh, legislators who were elected over the last two cycles. In fact, the majority of the House um, has been in the House for fewer than, than uh, six years. Um, and you know they've brought a, a new energy to the House and, and a lot of new ideas. And it's been pretty awesome to, to have them join us. So this month, we're, we're highlighting four of the newest members uh, who've all been appointed to the House within the last year or so. This week, we are highlighting Delegate Sheila Ruth uh, from District 44B uh, in Western Baltimore County. She serves on uh, the Environment and Transportation Committee um, and, uh, and is doing awesome work already despite having only one partial session under her belt. Um, so welcome to the show, Sheila. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Sure, absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What do you do outside of legislative work? Why'd you become a legislator? Yeah, th thank you for asking. Um, I actually grew up in Howard County. Um, I, my elementary school years, I was in the Ellicott City area, and then we moved out to Glenwood in western Howard County, where my parents built an airstrip, a private airstrip, um, which had been a dream of theirs. So I, I kind of grew up on an airstrip. That's kind of cool. That's <laughs> there well, was a, there was an airstrip around the corner from where I grew up, and and uh, and the same sort of thing, like a private airstrip. And what was that like? Um, well, I mean, it was the the airstrip itself was really a non-event because it was just occasional planes taking off. It wasn't commercial or anything like that. Right. But it, it was interesting going to high school there because the the airstrip became kind of controversial. It, there were it was a big zoning issue and. Right opposition from the neighbors and so when I would meet people and say, introduce them say my name was Sheila Summerlock which was my maiden name uh -huh. people would say you're not one of those Summerlocks on the airstrip are you <laughs> <laughs> so kind of had some notoriety there yeah a little little infamous there so so what do you do outside of legislative work um, yes, yeah, so I'm a, a web developer I have a background in IT and programming um, kind of moved from there into web development. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And you, uh, you so uh, talk a little bit about why you decided to put your name forth to, to be appointed to the house. Why'd you want to do this work? <laughs> well, I, you know, I've been involved in activism for some years and, you know, um, really working at the, the state and local level. I, I testified in many bill hearings before I ever, you know, became a member of the House of Delegates, um, you know, and also the county council. Um, I did actually run for county council in 2018 and I, I didn't win. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I felt like I wanted to be here to, to be able to move forward with the, the important work that I'm doing um, in a different way. 
That's great. That's great. It's a, uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot of folks who, who uh, run for the house or the Senate have that kind of advocacy background, right? They've, they've been down there advocating on issues and it's, it's really, I mean, I, you know, it's what drove me to get involved, right. Was trying to do better by schools and do better by the environment, all that kind of stuff. So do you feel like you have a, a, you had a better sense coming in of how it worked given that you've done that type of advocacy or, or was it still like a black box when you walked in? In some ways, I had, you know, I had an idea of how it worked, but there was a lot that that I, I didn't understand and, you know, really has been a real learning experience. And, um, you know, I, I certainly really enjoyed it and, um, and, am, and am enjoying it and feeling like I'm able to make a difference. Yeah, you feel you got your legs under you a little bit more now that you're in your second session? I, I do um, to some extent. Uh, this is my really my first session putting in bills, so that part of the process is kind of new to me. But the whole, you know, committee, subcommittee, floor session thing um, is pretty. I feel like a veteran there now. That before, yeah, yeah. Well, tell us. So, talk a little bit about District Forty Four B. I, you know, most normal people. I, I mean, normal as opposed to people like us who pay attention to things like where the legislative districts are, um, uh, may not know that District Forty Four B is in in, you know, what. Well, is a district and not just a collection of random numbers and letters and, and that it's in Baltimore. So tell us about uh, about your district. Um, yeah, so District 44B is in Western Baltimore County. It's kind of shaped like an H. Um, it's actually an incredibly diverse district, which is wonderful. We have, you know, a, a lot of, um, you know, different people and cultures. Um, this, this summer I, I did, uh, because of the pandemic, I, I did a thing where I was getting carry out from different restaurants in the district and posting about it just as a way to support, you know, local businesses. And, and we have just such a uh, diverse collection of restaurants because of the people that live in the district that, you know, can get everything from, um, you know, Jamaican food to Indian and Pakistani food and, you know, just a huge, um, huge variety of people and, you know, cultures in the district. We have a very large mosque, the Islamic Society of Baltimore. So there are um, many Muslims also who live in the district. Um, and, and so, you know, I just really love living here and, you know, being around all the different people and getting to know different people. Yeah, really, um, I, you know, I find it, 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 it I, I'm in a similar area, a similarly diverse area, and I find it really enriches my life and enriches my kids' lives, right? I think, right. I, you know, I, I know more about the world because I interact with people that are different from me on a regular basis, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I do research into, you know, the members that, that I interview on House Highlights, and I always learn new things that I didn't know. And one of the coolest things I found in your biography, your background, is that you've been active with something called the, the Civils Awards. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. You are. So, so and I, I am fascinated by this because it's really cool. So tell us a little bit, what, what are the Civils Awards and, and what do you do with them? Yeah, so the Sybils Awards are uh, an award for children's and young adult books. Um, it's been around for about 15 years. I've been involved with the organization since it was founded about 15 years ago, I think it, it was. And um, I'm currently executive director and, and vice president of the award. So every year we look at the, the children's books that are published in the, in the past year. We have um, two rounds with panels of judges. We have a, you know, a real system set up. Um, where uh, our, our goal is to find books that are um, both kid or teen friendly and have literary merit, you know, and that was really sort of the impetus for, for founding the award. It was founded by 
um, a bunch of children's book bloggers, which I at the time was blogging um, actually young adult books. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we founded it out of frustration with a lot of the other children's books awards that were out there that either tended to be awarded towards real literary books that maybe wouldn't be the ones that children would read or like popular books that were not, you know, very well written. And so, you know, we, we believed and still believe that there are plenty of good books that are well written and have a lot of appeal for children and teens. And so those are, those are our goals um, to which we've also really um, added a focus on diversity, um, you know, and we, we've been trying to award diverse books for quite a number of years. Um, there was a movement, or it still is a movement, but it was started some years ago called We Need Diverse Books. Um, and one of, the, one of the goals of the movement is to make sure that um, children can read books which are windows and mirrors. So the mirrors where children can see themselves and windows where they can see um, you know, children who are different than themselves and learn something about that. And so that, that's something we've been supporting for a long time. But this year, um, more than ever, we really had an intentional focus on diversity to where we had diversity, authenticity, and inclusion. Um, we had a, a class for all the judges that judges were required to take over Zoom, of course, mm -hmm. um, on, you know, various cultural aspects that, that, you know, people needed to be aware of. Um, you know, we, we made sure that it was a part of the discussions. We have a resource guide for, for people. And, and, you know, so, and, and that really, really showed, we announced our finalists January 1st. And I think that intentionality really showed where we have an incredibly diverse range of books. And so the winners are, will be announced February 14th. So coming up this Sunday, we have a second round of judges who look at the, the finalists and choose one winner in each category. That's really cool. That's, <laughs> I got to tell you, like, it's, that's really cool. I, uh, I, I mean, I, I've got four kids now, right? So I, I've become very familiar with a lot of children's literature and young adult literature as I either read with my kids or, you know, look for good books about them. So I, I, I'm putting you on the spot here, I, I, I know. But um, given that I have three middle schoolers now, can you, can you offer, what's your favorite, like, middle school age targeted book? So I wasn't actually involved in the judging this year. I kind of have withdrawn from that aspect of it just with the, being in the General Assembly. I, I don't really have, have time to, to do that. Um, I, I'm more on the administrative side of things right now and keeping things running. But what I would encourage you to do is to go to civils.com and it's C-Y-B-I-L-S.com and look at the finalist lists. And there are several, that there are a bunch of different categories. And for middle schoolers, we have we have nonfiction, we have fiction, we have speculative fiction, we have graphic novels, um, and you know, and really take a look at those lists, and I think you'll find some good books. I'll do that. I'm going to do that as soon as we we finish this interview. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's let's talk about legislation. You mentioned that that you've been you know going through the the bill process, the introduction process for the first time, and now the hearings are happening. Now bills are getting voted on and decided on. And um, and you've got a, a number of bills this year. Um, and it, so let's just shout about a couple of them. So one of them is HB 355, which has to do with electronic petition signatures. So can you, I, I think most people aren't familiar with petition processes generally. Can you talk a little bit about what that bill is and what it's trying to do? Sure, thank you for asking. So in Maryland, under Maryland law, um, any citizens can petition to get a local ballot measure on the ballot in an election where voters can vote on it. 
Um, and similarly, parties and independent candidates can also petition to be on the ballot. And there are a required number of signatures set in law that to get that particular local ballot measure or candidate on the, the ballot, you have to collect that required number of signatures. And the way that this is usually done is with paper, you know, papers that have spaces for the signatures and the required information and people either go to door to door or they go to the farmer's market and hang out at the farmer's market and you know try to catch people there um and the problem really that came up in the pandemic is it's not safe to do that and um so the the state board of elections um enacted a temporary measure to allow signatures to be collected electronically um, which is through an, an app that people can put in the same information that they would put on the piece of paper. Um, and, and what actually happens is that that app actually does create paper that goes to the State Board of Elections. So it doesn't change their process at all. But what it does is it, it creates better access for Maryland citizens to a right that they have under Maryland law. Um, you know, and so I really thought this is something that should be permanent because there are, are people, you know, the way the law is currently written, if you want to sign a petition, you have to be in the same place at the same time with somebody who has the petition, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so this really increases access for um, people who don't have transportation, people who might have disabilities, you know, uh, or just people who work a lot and don't have time to try to catch up with someone who has the petition. So it really just would increase access um, to a right that Marylanders already have. That's great. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, one of, I, I think everybody's frustrations about government is government sometimes changes slowly and moves slowly. And, you know, I, I, particularly in the adoption of technology, you know, sometimes it takes time to, to work things through, but it just makes sense to me. We can do almost anything online now, right? So why not this? Sure. And I think it's been a silver lining of the pandemic that, you know, it's really forced us to look at the way we do things and find better ways of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are things that I've started doing during the pandemic that I'm going to keep doing, like hopefully, you know, not having to commute every day, which has been one one nice thing for for my gas bill. So. Right, right. Um, so you have another bill this year that creates a task force to look at a, a regional waste disposal facility in the Baltimore region. And I, I and, you know, I, I I'm curious what you know what 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 drove the the creation of that bill. I know there have been um, you know for many years conversations about um, some of the challenges the localities have had in finding you know adequate waste disposal uh, facilities. So what what sort of drove you to to work on this? So, so this is actually something I'm working on with the Baltimore County Executive's Office, um, and you know there, there's a real need for it. We're our trash and our waste is a problem for, for many reasons. First of all, we're, we're running out of landfill space and we have to have a place to put trash. But beyond that, just landfilling trash is a bad solution because it as it decomposes, it releases gases into the greenhouse gases into the air. Um, you know, and some trash is incinerated, which is also a bad solution. And, and so we, we first of all need to find solutions for what to do with our waste. We need to move towards a zero waste future. We need to phase out incineration. Um, and, and it really makes a lot of sense to do this in a regional way because all the counties are struggling with these same issues. And by working together, um, we can potentially save costs, um, 
develop markets for recyclables. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that there's a power in numbers and by working together, we, we can really, I think, create better solutions. Yeah, you get kind of the economies of scale. I mean, I, I think it, I, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, just you've got, you know, the Baltimore County and Baltimore City are so closely tied to each other that, you know, some coordinated strategy there makes a lot of sense. But it also makes a lot of sense for for some of the smaller counties, I would think, like Carroll County, that maybe don't have the resources to put into a big right. recycling facility or something. Yeah, exactly. And so this this regional work group would encompass Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Anne Arundel County, Carroll County, Harford County, and Howard County. So, you know, there's sort of that Central Maryland region. Um, and, and you're right, the, the smaller, you know, less populous counties can benefit from teaming up with the, the more populous counties. Well, I, and for those of you listening at home, the, the Baltimore County Executive, the Delegate Ruth just referred to, is also a former member of the Maryland House of Delegates, uh, Johnny O, who represented, I think it was District 8. He was on the east side. He was eastern Baltimore County, but, you know. Okay, so we, we always uh, like to close with a few entertaining questions, a little more fun questions. So we've got, we'll start off, we've got some true or false questions. So true or false, you've felt the burn. Yeah, I think that's no secret. Um, I, I supported Bernie Sanders in 2016 and 2020. And, you know, uh, I, I think um, my support of him and was part of what really got me engaged and involved in wanting to get more involved in politics. I, you know, I, 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 I like Bernie a lot. I, I'm, uh, I have supported other candidates in, in the presidential races, but I got to tell you, I, I respect somebody who um, has changed the conversation as much as he has. I mean, if you think about the issues that we're talking about in public policy now, um, not all of them, but some of them, particularly the inequality-focused issues, are issues that that you know he was the one really highlighting on the campaign trail in 2016. It's it's changed the conversation. It, it really has. It's it's shifted the Overton window, and you know, and it's funny that he's been saying these same things. When when you look at videos of him from 30 years ago, he's saying this. I mean, you could take those and put them on the campaign trail in 2020, and you know, he's saying almost the exact same things. The numbers are a little different because things have changed, but the message is still the same. Right, right. That's great. And also, we all now the whole country knows that he wears some pretty awesome mittens when, he, yep. when, he's, when he's at inauguration. So <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favorite internet memes of the year. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. All right, so I, this is, this is, so I, I will preface this by saying um, my first session, when I first got into the legislature, I was shocked by how much time we spent on the floor of the House of Delegates debating septic systems and other things that I hadn't thought much about before I ran for office. So true or false, as a member of the Environment and Transportation Committee, you spent more time than you ever expected talking about septic systems. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, it's one of the, the cool things about being on the Environment and Transportation Committee, but I imagine any committee as well, is I'm learning about so many different things that you know, I, I never imagined that, that I would learn from septic systems to riparian rights to oyster um, oyster culture, you know, um, and in terms of septic systems, um, they're, they're so important for the, the Chesapeake Bay. Um, you know, we, we have a real treasure in Maryland with, with the Chesapeake Bay, something that's, that's really unique um, and we need to protect it. And, and septic systems, um, you know, not properly installed or properly managed can leak um, nitrogen and phosphorus into the bay. Those things create dead zones 
Um, we, we call them nutrients, which sounds like a good thing, but it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's really a bad thing, not a good thing, because those nutrients feed algae, which create dead zones that, that hurt those things that are special about the bay, the grasses, the oysters, the crabs. Right, right. I, yeah, it's, um, I mean, every committee has, has kind of like a broad range of issues they consider, but ENT has always seemed to me a committee where you all deal with a lot of really fascinating and, you know, science-based issues that, that I, it might, your hearings must be really interesting sometimes. They are, they are. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I come across some of those issues, you know, periodically just through my own work in my district and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've had to educate myself about some of the issues like septic systems because of the impact on waterways and things like that. And it's not the kind of thing that, that you think about when you're running for office, like that's the issue I want to focus on, but it's right. so important. Right, right. Well, and chicken waste is, is the yeah. other one. <laughs> chicken litter, right? Chicken litter. <laughs> yep. Chicken litter also contributes to, um, you know, nutrients into the bay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So uh, final question, and it's a two-parter. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's our final fun question. So um, what we, we ask every guest here, uh, first of all, what is your favorite place within the geographical boundaries of Maryland? So anywhere within the Maryland borders. And then second, what is your favorite food? And I will say it's your favorite food served somewhere within the geographical boundaries of Maryland. It doesn't have to be a Maryland specific Maryland food. So favorite Maryland place, favorite Maryland food. So the Inner Harbor in Baltimore has always had special meaning to me. Um, I actually worked as a waitress there many, many years ago when I was young and met my husband there. Um, we, I can remember sitting in Harbor Place um, with, with him when I was dating him, eating cheese pretzels and watching the aquarium being built. Um, and then later I volunteered at the aquarium for about five years as, as an exhibit guide. So, you know, and it's just, it's a great place to go and walk around and enjoy the, enjoy the day. Um, so, so the inner Harbor has always been a very special place for me. Um, in terms of favorite food, I'm going to cheat and say two things. Um, first of all, crab cakes, of course, you, you can't live in Maryland and not love crab cakes. Um, and, and I can remember one time we were in Florida on vacation and we came across this little restaurant and it said Maryland crab cakes, not just crab cakes, it said Maryland crab cakes. I said, great, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try them. Well, let me tell you, don't get Maryland crab cakes in Florida. They were not Maryland crab cakes. Oh, they, don't, sure. they don't use the jumbo lump. <laughs> I'm not sure what they were, but they were not Maryland crab cakes. And then um, the other thing is I'm, I have become really addicted to Old Bay hot sauce. Oh, really? I haven't had a chance to try it yet. Is it good? It is so good. It's It's got just enough heat and just enough of that Old Bay tang that it's just really, really tasty. I'm going to have to get some of that. That <laughs> I totally missed the boat on that. <laughs> well, that's great. I, 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 I love the Inner Harbor, too. And the aquarium is one of the coolest places in, in the state of Maryland. It um, is. And, you know, who can argue with crab cakes in Old Bay, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Delegate Sheila Rue, thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight. Um, good luck uh, to you and your bills in the remainder of session. And, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too.